Ça va? What is going on, everybody? Raj Galardi back with you guys. Uh, it's been a little bit since I've been in touch with you guys, so thank you guys for answering the call to violence. Um, yeah, dude, a lot has happened uh, since I've last uh, checked in with you guys. Um, just getting used to dad life. Uh, I got a newborn. He's a month old yesterday, so that's been, uh, dude, that is uh, no joke. Uh, having a newborn, uh, there's nothing really in life that will prepare you for that. Actually, that's not true. One benefit to just graduating uh, college and then becoming a dad right after is totally seasoned with uh, nights and no sleeps no sleep and early mornings that nothing has prepared me better for that than uh than late nights at the library and early morning classes so that's been nuts uh so any of you uh, any of you uh parent there are new parents out there or parents of little ones right now uh all my respect in the world to you guys uh you guys we are the unsung heroes right um, but let, let's see, let's uh, recap a little bit what's happened since we last talked. So last time we talked, I think I did a, a breakdown of uh, DC and Stipe. Stipe ended up getting the decision. I think it was pretty clear cut. It, DC looked good early and kind of faded late, which I was kind of worried about. Stipe made all the right adjustments going into that third fight. Um, I mean, it was a great fight. It was one of the best heavyweight fights I've ever seen. And, you know, usually you don't get that kind of a fight out of two guys, uh, especially where DC's at. I mean, like, they're both creme la creme, but, you know, both kind of a little bit past their peak, but put on a great performance. Uh, both both guys did. No, neither guy has anything to be ashamed of. I was a little bit disappointed since uh, DC didn't get to retire that belt back at home in San Jose, but the better man won that night. The better man won. Um, yeah, there was some controversy with the eye poke and then... You know, uh, people are saying, oh, that's what DC deserved after all the eye pokes he gives. But I, I think it's – and then everything coming out with him and this COVID stuff. But neither here nor there because DC is retired. And that was my biggest issue going into that fight is it's like he's going to retire no matter what. Like if this is the way he wants to go out, so be it. But, you know, uh, it is what it is. Um, and then we also had um, – we also had uh, Frankie Edgar pick up a win at 135. Um, I think he's one of, I want to say just one of three guys who's has won, or maybe four guys. I think it's Jared Cannonier, Diego Sanchez, Kenny Florian, who have have wins in three or more weight classes. So that was a that that was a pretty close fight. Uh, I think I, if I remember correctly, I kind of scored it for Munoz that night, but it was it was a close fight. So good job, Frankie. Um, Anthony Smith dropped another one to um, to, uh, to Alex, yeah, Alexander uh, Rakic, um, Rakic, whatever, however you say it. Uh, you know, Rakic is on his way up at 205. Smith is kind of at a uh, crossroads point in his career. You know, he's one of those guys who got all the way to the top, but then since reaching the top, can't really put it back together. Neil Magny picked up a good win over Robbie Lawler, and Robbie Lawler's kind of at that point in his career again. It's the second time he's been at, at a crossroads like that. Um, Alistair Overeem putting work against those those young guys. Um, you know, gets another good win over a perennial top contender, a, a rising contender at heavyweight. And, you know, Overeem's kind of been that, that filter at heavyweight. You know, it's either you get past him and you get tossed up to, you know, the 
biggest and best fights at heavyweight, or you lose to him and you get shuffled all the way back down the list. So, you know, that was a real veteran performance, kind of let Sakai kind of wear himself out. Um, you know, I don't like to see this from Overeem, but, you know, having that high guard up against the fence, don't really know. I'll have to go back and look, but don't really know what exactly landed and what didn't um, with those flurries. But uh, some some of those shots looked pretty big. But, you know, you get to a certain point in your career and you know or you get to a certain point where you're so confident in your game where, like, you know where you're comfortable even if it looks bad. And that's kind of what Overeem did. He just kind of let him throw everything at him, waited till the later rounds, and... I will say, Overham's one of the few guys who actually continues to evolve. Um, I've been saying this for a really, really long time, but his ground and pound is some of the best in the game, if not the best in the game. I there's a few guy, there's a few guys that I'd put in a category with him who have really devastating ground and pound. And I've been saying this since the Brett Rogers fight, which was I want to say ten years ago now. Did um, the way he manhandled Brett Rogers and then just beat him up from full guard um, with devastating ground and pound. Uh, he did the same thing to uh, Stefan Struve. Um, I'm sure if I go back and look at his uh, his record, he's got a lot of really, really good ground and pound wins. His problem, though, has been how does he get it there? Um, he's really has really good trips, but doesn't really have that good, strong wrestling base. And you can tell by being with Elevation Fight Team, he's actually you know gaining some tools and some tricks that uh, sit out single. He was hitting against the fence. He didn't both the fourth and the fifth round, which ended up leading to the finish. So, dude. That guy moves around a lot, but, you know, in most cases when a guy moves around a lot, it's kind of a problem. That that usually means he has trouble fitting into a camp, has probably like an authority issue, and he, you know, everyone likes to say it's it's the people around him when, you know, usually if you can't, you know, fit in somewhere, it's probably a you need to self reflect a little bit more. But Overeem just pulls from wherever he goes, it doesn't matter. He, he learns something new wherever he goes. Um, so he's a great, he's still in his 40s, he's still a great student of the game. So do I think he's going to, you know, fight for title? Probably not. Um, but we'll see. I always love Overeem, so I, I was really excited for him to get that win. Um, and then last weekend we had Watterson, uh, Michelle Watterson take on Angela Hills. Short notice, got bumped up to five rounds. Really, really, really fun 115-pound fight. I keep telling everybody, you know, 115-pound women's division, that's the best division in the women's uh, and all of the women's divisions like from one to ten actually i think even one to fifteen all all exciting all exciting fighters um so really 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 good stuff there um tough one for angela hill though she keeps having these kind of nail biter fights they're all really exciting and fun to watch and so you know she's kind of at that same spot jorge masvidal was in where it's like the, the the technique and everything is there the mindset is there it's just that small little tweak of when to put more pressure on and when to take the gas off. And I think once she makes that, she'll start getting, uh, she'll start getting the nod more um, than she's been getting. And then uh, that brings us all the way to this week's card. Now this week, you know, uh, it, I I should have been, you know, even with the the parenting stuff aside, like I should have been keeping up with this more. But it, honestly, it was kind of difficult because before this event, like. MMA was a little bit boring. I mean, I know there's always stuff going on in the headlines, but I'm not one of those, you know, clickbaity click kind of dudes. Like, I, I I, could give two shits. Like, uh, dude, uh, unless there's something written down on paper or we got a big fight coming up, like, I, I'm not interested in the in the Twitter beefs and the, you know, just, oh, oh, you know, 
Connor might come back. Nick Diaz might come back. Yada, yada, yada. Tell stuff is signed and set. Don't talk to me. I don't want to hear about it. All right. Um, so, yeah, other than that, you know, um, it's just been kind of boring. And so we get lucky with these next few weeks because from here all the way to the end of October, it's banger after banger after banger. Um, so I'm going to break this down real quick. So starting at the bottom, we got Kevin Holland taking on Darren Stewart. This is a great opening uh, main card fight. Um, both these guys have been really active in this COVID era. Um, let me see here real quick. Kevin Holland. Yeah, yeah. This will be his third fight in the COVID era. Uh, first fight was uh, Overeem Harris in May 16th. Got a nice win over Anthony Hernandez. Just brutal, brutal, brutal. Really, really put it on Anthony. Uh, picked up another win over Joaquin Buckley um, in August, uh, just a month ago, a little over a month ago. Um, so this will be his third fight. And this, uh, you know, dude, again, a lot. I keep saying this. There are some fighters who are cashing in heavy on this COVID era. They're able to get fights a lot easier because they're available and they're active and their game is ready to go. Um, you know, guys like Brian Kelleher keep, you know, fluctuating wins and losses, but at least they're cashing in. Um, Darren Stewart's on the same path here. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, how to fight in Cage Warriors in March. I want to say that's, that's still like right around in that COVID era. Picked up another, uh, picked up a win, a rebounding win, uh, a guillotine choke uh, last month on that same card on that Derek Lewis Olenek card. So both guys really seasoned, um, should be a good one. And then uh, we got Mackenzie Dern taking on Ronda Marcos. This is a great, you know, this is a great fight for Mackenzie Dern. They UFC's clearly taken the like the slow approach with Mackenzie Dern. Um, you know, it's going to be tough at straw weight because at a certain point, if she racks up a few more wins, she's probably going to be right right up there for a title shot, which is kind of unfortunate uh, just, like, through a progression issue. But, I mean, it is what it is. Um, Marcos uh, always comes to fight, always durable, always game. Just, I don't think she's ever, I think she's just alternated wins and losses her entire UFC career. Let's take a look. Yeah, yeah. Um, UFC debut over Jessica Penny, split decision loss. Uh, then a win over Daly at UFC 186. So since yeah, so since 2014, she has never lost two in a row and has never won. Uh, has never lost two in a row and has never won two in a row. It just alternated her entire career. So again, always game, not super consistent, really hard to finish. Um, let's see. I think she only has one. Yeah, one loss. Yeah, Courtney Casey caught her in an armbar in 2016, and that's her only. Uh, that's her only finished loss in her whole career. So out of 18 fights, only uh, it's only been finished once. Or I, I guess you should say out of eight losses, only been finished once. So again, it's extremely durable. Um, should be a good test for Mackenzie to see where she's at. Um, Mackenzie is coming off of that submission win over Hannah Cyphers. Devastating knee bar early in that fight. Excuse me, I got the hiccups right now. Get a little hydrated. Quality H2O. Um, but yeah, so th that should be a decent fight at women's straw weight. Then you got this you got this savage fight at light heavyweight with Johnny Walker and Ryan Spann. This is a great fight for both guys. So Johnny Walker just recently went he was started or he was at Faraces and now he's moved to SBG. And this is one of those cases where I feel like if you're moving around a lot, there's an issue with you and not the gym. Um, it's just his style. Like, what are you supposed to teach this guy? He's extremely wild. Um, you know, I, 
I think he, he kind of got exposed in his last two fights for sure. Uh, especially by uh, was it Krylov? Yeah, Nikita Krylov just put the put, put a real veteran performance on 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 Johnny Walker. He he really showed Johnny Walker what this game's all about. Uh, like it's fun to be flashy and you know sporadic and all that, but Nikita Krylov showed him w what this game's really about and put a really consistent beating on him. Um, right after Corey Anderson just freaking shut all the hype down on him, so he's. Again, he's he, you know Johnny Walker's at a crossroads too. This guy was everyone's pumping him up like he was going to be the guy to you know, you know, uh, give Johnny some problems because or uh, give uh, Johnny Bones some problems because you know Johnny Walker came in kind of looking like Bones at first. You know, John, uh, when John Jones John Jones's game as of lately has really seasoned out, and what I mean by that is he's gotten really comfortable, doesn't take a lot of risks. Everything is is you know his IQ is so up there that you know he he knows what he's gonna do way before you know like three moves before he does it and he's setting you up for it and you have no idea. Um, never really puts himself in danger. I mean even with his close fights against Dominic Tiago and uh, I mean Anthony Smith wasn't close but excuse me guys I'm sorry. <coughs> um, but yeah, you know, it was kind of, uh, or before all of that, you know, Johnny was look kind of like Johnny Walker, or Johnny Bones was looking like Johnny Walker, just spinning elbows and flying knees, and everything's coming at crazy angles. Uh, a lot more seasoned and controlled than Johnny Walker, but, you know, uh, along the same lines. But Ryan Spann, dangerous. Kind of a slow starter. Kind of, you know, a little bit of a slow starter, but, I mean, super, super, super savage, dude. Um, coming off that close loss to Sam Alvey, but that was a great fight. Uh, had that good win over Devin Clark, knocked out Rogerio. Um, you know he's had a really good UFC run so far. Really exciting. So this is a really really good test for both guys. I'm I'm actually really excited to see this. Crazy thing though is is Ryan Spann. I think is like a two to one underdog, and that is some good money. Good money. If you're a betting person, I definitely would put either lump Ryan in a small parlay or just you know put a little bit of money down on Ryan Spann and just watch your uh, watch your. Uh, um, uh, quick earnings on that one. Um, so that, sh that should be a really good fight. I'm really actually really excited for it. Ooh, and then we get into the, the, the thick of things with these next three fights. So at middleweight, we got Kazmat Shemaev taking on Gerald Mershart. And this is a great stylistic matchup. Um, I don't really know where Shemaev fits, if he's going to commit to 185 or 170, or if he's just going to be this floater until he figures things out and see which, you know, which belt he wants to go for. Um, but this, you know, this is a perfect style. I, I was hoping that they weren't going to go too light with Shemaev on his next fight, and I was really hoping they weren't going to just throw him straight to the wolves like they did uh, Darren Till. Um, so this is a perfect fight. Uh, Gerald Morshart, he's coming off of a loss to Ian Heinish, a really quick TKO loss. But this is the kind of fight you want to see because Gerald Morshart will make it a dogfight. He will, you know, he's not going to give up very game. And this is the kind of person you want to see if Shamayev can handle. Yeah, Shamayev might be able to beat him up all the first round. Bad. Might be a 10-7 round. And then he might start looking good in the beginning of the second round. But then once you get into those deep waters, Marshall will make you pay. Um, and that's the, these are the kind of questions you want to learn about Shamayev now and not later once he already gets to the top. So this is a perfect matchup. Um, it's kind of hard not to... To, uh, it's kind of hard not to root for Gerald, especially since they're you know pushing. They're already like signing two fights ahead for Shemaev. Um, uh, speaking of my newborn, if you guys can hear him in the back, there he is. He's probably ready for a diaper change and a bottle. 
um luckily i got a strong mama a uh, uh, strong mama and grandmother out there uh helping me out while i can do this so thanks to them but anyways back on track you know joe's a little bit felt a little bit disrespected because uh, they're already talking about signing him up against uh damian maya if he gets past me uh shamayev gets past mere shark okay i'm just gonna say this right now like i always feel weird saying mere shard. i would keep thinking i'm saying i'm sharding or something like that but anyways um and and at first you know what i was really like really damian maya like why the why the fuck would they give him damian maya that makes no sense for maya absolutely no sense for maya but then the more i thought about it i was like man i guess if you really are trying to call it quits instead of doing like some like legend versus legend fight wouldn't you want to go out taking up the next big perennial top contender guys are saying these are the greatest you know greatest thing since gsp or greatest thing since johnny bones jones or greatest thing since khabib like he's getting all these accolades already wouldn't you be the one Wouldn't you want to be the guy at you know over 40 to be able to choke him out get a good win and then say deuces i just beat your best guy and now i'm packing my lunch or packing my bag i should say not packing your lunch um but yeah no that, that'd be awesome so I'm, I'm really excited for that fight as well how would how i see it going though i feel like shamaya is gonna do some damage i feel like gerald is gonna get some work in there and i'm definitely not sleeping on him not gonna I'm not gonna be surprised if he wins but uh, I definitely think Shemaev, uh gets the win. Definitely be rooting for Gerald, though. And then in the next one, we got Donald Cerrone coming back, trying to break this skid. What is it? Let's see. Four fights, three by stoppage, and then a close fight against Pettis, which I I thought it was close. I definitely thought Pettis won, but a lot of people were saying Donald won. I don't really agree with that, but neither here or there. Um, taking on Nico Price. This is going to be a great part. Th th these are the kind of fights that I love seeing Donald in. This is going to be a fantastic fight. Both guys love to bring it. They're, neither guy really so worried about losing as they are about worried about putting on a good fight, which is great. Uh, Nico Price had a great fight against Vicente Luque and was in that fight all the way up until that doctor stopped it. I mean, and Vicente Luque is no fucking joke. No joke. Um, so I, I'm really excited for this. I really don't know which way it's going to go. It's really a coin flip. Um, I kind of favor Nico just because he's not as far in the tooth, but for whatever reason, whenever whenever guys respect Donald and they like appreciate him and they don't talk shit and they you know all that, Donald seems to always get him, always catches him. Always, always finds a way to get them. It's when some guy starts talking shit to him that that's when Donald some gets frazzled and doesn't know how to deal with it or, you know, whatever his whatever his issue with that is. So I, I favor Nico, but again, won't be surprised if Donald wins. Um, this is how stacked this card is, though. The co-main event was supposed to be Tiago Santos versus Glover Teixeira, which is just a barn burner of a light heavyweight fight. Since John Jones moving out, you know, moving to heavyweight, like everything at 205 feels really big right now. Um, so it's a great fight, especially with Glover coming off that Anthony Smith fight and Tiago Santos coming off the injury and looking so good against Johnny Bones. Great fight, but unfortunately, you know, uh, got pulled. Uh, Tiago got COVID, but this is still a fantastic card. Like I would not mind. Like if this was a pay per view, I would not mind shoveling out a little bit. Of my, I wouldn't shovel out sixty, but what the hell am I saying? I'm gonna find a, a stream for it anyways, regardless of how much it is. So I take back those words. Anyways, we got Colby Covington finally taking on Tyron Woodley about two and a half, three years too late. This fight should have been in 2017, if not 2018. 
this fight should have been made before the Usman Woodley fight. Um, is it still compelling? Yeah. Is it not? It's just hard because, man, it, I, I really wish we could have seen Colby take on Woodley while he still had the belt. I mean, I just feel like that would have been a really, 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 really big title fight um, for Woodley. When I, and I think that's really what he was missing. Um, let me just take a look at his his record real quick because, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, John Jones had DC and he kind of had that Rashad thing there in the beginning. Uh, GSP had Josh Koscheck, uh, Khabib has Connor, um, you know, Adesanya has Costa, um, you know, to really elevate yourself as a champion, you really need that good foil. And Colby was perfect for it. And I don't, uh, and again, I still, to this day, I mean, if it, whether it was a Colby issue, a UFC issue, a Tyrant issue, I don't know what it was, but that fight should have been made then. And I think that fight would have really have elevated, um, would lead to the next level in terms of star power and, and pay-per-view star, you know, level. But, you know, yeah, yeah, see, look, he really didn't have that foil. You know, he beat Lawler, had those two... The first fight was really good with Thompson. The second fight sucked. Uh, you know, Maya, and then, you know, he pumped the brakes on the Till hype, and that was his reign. No foil there. Nothing that to really be like when you look back on it, be like, oh man, remember when Woodley fought, you know, Colby after all that shit Colby talked and he really put him in it. There's none of that. You know, and then he went to fight on Usman and Usman, you know, beat the shit out of Woodley. Um I see how old Woodley is. Yeah, Woodley's thirty eight years old now. You know, he's kinda long in the tooth. Uh, Timing-wise, this is perfect for Covington, especially coming off of the Usman loss. You know, both guys really need, uh, really need like a, a really big win to get back to the top. And what's great for Woodley is, is beating Colby puts you right back there. That erases the last two fights. Uh, it it does. It puts you right back up there. Maybe not for an immediate title shot after, but it puts you one more, and you're right there. Uh, and then for Colby, it does the same thing. If he beats Tyron, he, you know, I don't know if he gets an immediate title shot. But, uh, but it's up there. It's definitely, uh, it puts him up there. I don't know who we'd have to fight next, but it's up there, especially because he had that great fight with, he had that great fight with Usman, uh, you know, back in last December. Wasn't my favorite fight. I know everyone clamors over it, but it's, uh, I thought both of those guys stooped to a level that they're not really used to fighting at, especially Colby. It worked out for Usman because it showed that he had the power, you know, Colby had the, the speed and the volume. But uh, Usman definitely had the power, and so he could just sit back and he just relied on it. And he knew whatever Colby hit him with, it really wasn't going to do anything, and that eventually his power would be too much for Colby, and it showed. And uh, I just thought it was a waste for Colby because he didn't he didn't even try to attempt a takedown, not even any clinch work. He just decided, oh, I'm going to beat this guy with my boxing. Which again, dude, this is MMA. You're a great, great, great wrestler. To me, it was uh, like. If I wanted to see anything like that, I'd go watch Street Beefs. I'm going to be honest with you. I'd go watch Street Beefs. It was a great fight. It was a lot of fun, but I just didn't think that neither guy or I didn't think Colby really, you know, you, it, it's just kind of like the same thing with DC. It's like, you shooting for takedowns? No. And Colby doesn't have the excuse of being over 40 and a heavyweight with the, you know, lingering injuries that, uh, I mean, not saying he doesn't have injuries, but not to the extent that, um, that uh, DC has them. Um, so even though this fight is a couple years removed from what it should, I'm still really excited for it. It's it's 
it's almost more tension now just because it's like, man, is this is this Tyron's send-off? Does, is he going to lose to this guy? Because if he can't get motivated for this fight, I don't know, then that's the nail in the coffin. Like if he comes out and looks totally flat like he like he's looked in his last two fights, then this is it. This is it. Um, and then for Colby, man, it just gives him it, it gives him the best. This is the best opportunity for him to really beat down on, on Tyron Woodley and make true to everything he said beforehand. Um, I guess I have to talk about this because it's it's really part of the buildup. I, I really hate digging into this kind of shit, but this really like the the way this is uh, these two have really promoted themselves. It's uh, this is kind of like a, a bad WWE media fight where. Colby's, you know, trying to come out like this, you know, MAGA guy, and then Woodley's on the other end with the, you know, Black Lives Matter stuff, and it's just interesting because, like, for me, I believe for Woodley, it's all real, you know, I mean, okay, like, whatever people want to say about Black Lives Matter being some sort of, like, militia terrorist group, like, you're all a bunch of racist fucks, you don't even know what they're trying to say, are people rioting and looting and being offensive in uh, the in 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 reference to Black Lives Matter? Yeah, but if you go look at who's getting arrested at these protests and these raids and everything, it's a bunch of crackhead white guys and white chicks with colored hair and piercings, and they're all skinny and all amphetamine addicts. Go look; not one person is black. Uh, is there some instigating going on on both sides and some innocent people getting hurt? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, there's a lot of tension, and if people feel bo- strongly about both their sides, there's going to be some conflict. And then if you choose to go out in the streets and deal with that conflict on a you know personal spatial level like that, you know, w- what do you think is going to happen? But when it comes to like businesses being destroyed and shit like that, like I, I have yet to see anybody who's actually a minority get in trouble for this kind of stuff. Um, and then on the other side, it just feels, and so, so with Tyron, it's like, you know, he's an African-American male and, and he, and he grew up in one of the most still to this day, segregated racist areas of this country. Of course, he's going to come out with Black Lives Matter. Like, what'd you think? He's using his platform as an athlete and as a superstar to get the word out about his cause. What else is he supposed to do? But then on the flip side, you got Colby Covington, and everybody knows this is an act, and so it, it almost diminishes, like, and, and it's just funny because, like, it, it almost makes the whole thing more ridiculous because, yeah, like, he may be a Trump supporter, he may be more conservative in his thinking, but this whole, like, act that he does, it's just, it's, like, nauseating, and then for, like, the actual, like, conservative party to back this, like, it's real, it's just, like, you guys are all fucking stupid, like, it's an act. Like he's doing, he, I mean, he just took a he just took a page out of Donald Trump's playbook. Like when he decided he was gonna go in as a Republican to, you know, go be for president. What did he do? He just played up all this conservative banner that got a bunch of fucking hillbilly honkies, like all excited for him. You really think he's like? I don't really think Colby's this like you know, super conservative, freaking, you know, I just, I just don't think he's really that person, and he just took a a playbook out of Trump's book, and was like, oh, I know how to get people, I, I know how to either get people for me or against me, I can get a bunch of fucking honkies on my side, and I can have the whole other side hate me, and they're still turning in to see my fight, worked out perfectly, he's doing the right thing, it's just, with such a 
politically driven era we're in, or I can't say politically, but it's just with all the tension going on right now, just it's just leaves a sour taste in my mouth. Is it smart? Hell yeah. Is it like my my uh, is it my cup of tea? Fuck no. Um, but other than that, super super excited. Uh, let's get into the X's and O's though a little bit because this fight's really really exciting. So obviously Woodley, they they both have really really good wrestling. That is their base. We haven't seen we haven't seen that from Woodley at all lately, and if anything, his his wrestling defense has been a serious detriment. Uh, he's been kind of taken down at will by really by two really really great wrestlers and grapplers. Um, Gilbert Burns has really kind of like crossed the road where he's one of these guys, uh, grappling guys who has really really good takedowns, which is just really completing his game. Uh, making him really dangerous and then Usman obviously did what Usman does to everybody on Woodley and for Covington that plays right into his playbook he can you know Woodley see what what people don't what, what people don't realize about Woodley is Woodley's always had a problem with guys like Covington um let's go back let's go back real quick so um uh, Nate Marquardt. Nate Marquardt got him against the fence a lot, pushed on him, weathered on him. Uh, Woodley didn't really know what was coming, whether it was going to be takedowns, knees, strike, like, got overwhelmed, right? Jake Shields. Jake Shields pushed him up against the fence, got Woodley hesitating because he didn't know when Jake was going to come in at him. Jake just held him up against the fence, right? Roy McDonald, same thing. Roy McDonald flustered him, backed Woodley up the entire time. Woodley didn't know what was coming. He had to resort to pot shots, one big shot, couldn't get it. And then he finally figured it out, got a little bit more aggressive, and that's when he went on his whole tear. And then we're right back here at Usman and Burns. And so I just feel like for Covington, this is, you know, he just has to implement what he's been doing. Uh, he can't do what he did in the Usman fight and just stand there and strike with, with Woodley because if he does, he runs the risk of getting hit with a devastating right hand and flattened. Um, and then so for Woodley, Woodley just needs to be aggressive. And I, even though this is a five-round fight, I think he really has to treat it like it's like a two-rounder. Um, because I feel like if this goes the distance, it's got Colby written all over it. And I don't see how Woodley can put on a consistent, uh, I mean, and see, the problem is, is Woodley relies too much on, he, he, he sits against the fence waiting for you to overcommit so he can blast his shot. Because he's shorter for the weight class and doesn't have as much reach, he likes to sit back and he knows if his back's against the fence, that's the distance right there. He knows, okay, there's no more backing up. You're on a straight line. Here you come. Um, so when you come in on him, he can get all of his, uh, you know, all of his momentum, all of his power against that cage. Come, at, I mean, that's that's what he did against uh, Lawler. That's what he did against Thompson two times. You know, that's what he does. Uh, that's what he did against Koscheck. Um, so, but but he can't do that against guys like Colby, against guys like Burns, against guys like Usman, who when you put your back up against the cage, they go, oh, thanks. That's where I wanted you the whole time. Here, I'm going to clinch. So, can't do that. Um, I definitely favor Colby. I definitely feel like the odds are, are right. Like, he's a really heavy, or he's a really heavy, or he's really heavily favored, and I think that's right at this point in time. Uh, stylistically, momentumly, everything, I think all the cards are in Colby's favor, but that's what makes this fight so interesting because if, if Tyron can do it, that's a big, 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 big win. Um so I'm super, super, super excited for that. Um, so yeah, that those are that's my take. So if I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go down the line real quick. Let's just go. So I'm gonna go Covington, 
I'm going to go Price, Shemaev. I'm going to take Span with the upset, Dern, and then Kevin Holland. So those would be my picks. Um, and, yeah, and if you're a betting person, put a little bit of money down on the Span. Um, and then uh, I'll, I'll be back next week, and we'll do a, we'll do a good breakdown of Adesanya and Costa because I can't wait for that. Um, some big news, though. Let me let me pull up my notes here real quick. There's some stuff I wanted to talk about. Um, so yeah, uh, we should probably start in with the, with the big one. So Michael Chandler finally uh, making the bridge over to UFC. Um, I think it's a little bit late in the game, but because they're gonna throw him right in with the top guys, I think that's the way to do it. Um, would I have loved for him to stay in Bellator? I mean, for Bellator, I would have just because they they need as much stars and, and young guys. Well, I can't say young, but as much you know guys at the top end of the division like that as possible, just to build their brand and to say, hey, legitimately, we got you know UFC may market themselves as the best in the world, but we really do have some of the best fighters in the world. Um, but their their lightweight division used to be stacked, but it's just not there anymore. And then with Chandler losing to Patricio, and now Patricio being stuck in a 145 pound tournament, um, you know what was Chandler gonna do? Fight? I mean, here, look at this. Look at this. Let's let's just see this real quick. I mean, the thing with Bellator is they could put on really good fights. They don't have the marketing that UFC does, but they also and some of their divisions don't have the roster. They just don't have a number of guys. They have like three. They can, they can have like three or four really, really, really good guys. But then what, what ends up happening is they just fight each other once a year. They'll have like they'll fight one guy, one top guy. Then they'll have a fight in between, and they'll fight that top guy again. And then like if you look at Patricio's record, I mean his whole thing at one forty five. He I mean it between um, Pat Curran, Daniel Strauss, and. Daniel Weichel or whatever that guy's name is. I mean, those are three guys, and I think that makes up like 12 of his fights. Now, since I brought it up, I got to see it. Yeah, let's see. Let's see how many um, let's see how many of the same guy he's fought since being with Bellator. And a lot of that is not his fault. A lot of that is because he's been with Bellator since the beginning when they would just do yearly tournaments and so it's like you're going to have to fight, you know, the same guys over and over again. Okay, Joe Warren twice, William Hayes twice, Pat Curran twice, Daniel Strauss one. Let me see. 1 2 3 4 I want to say five. Wait, 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 wait. One, two, three, four. Oh, okay, I guess it's only four. Four times. So I mean, okay, in all together, that's so ten. Ten of his fights have all come by the same guy. And one of those, and one of those guys, he's fought four times, and that's just the reality in Bellator. They don't have the roster depth that the UFC does. Um, uh, at one thirty-five and one forty-five, they're getting there. One fifty-five has been a fluctuating one. One seventy, they kind of got it, and then so on. But this, this, uh, pretty much back to what I'm saying. I'm sorry for getting sidetracked, but pretty much what I'm saying is, is for Michael Chandler, this made all the sense in the world. Um, maybe even if it's at a pay cut, you know, you don't want to. You know, after it's all said and done, you don't want to be like, man, I, I could have done it. I could have done it. I could have gone to the UFC, and I could have won the big one. Um, I've been saying for a while that he's, stylistically, he matches up really well with Khabib. 
Um, I don't know if he could do it, but I just feel like from his explosiveness, his uh, wrestling uh, defense, his wrestling offense, his, everything. Like it's, I feel like for, that's a really, really good matchup with Khabib. But I feel like even if he comes over, unless something happens with Justin, I don't think he gets that fight regardless. I'm kind of feeling like if Khabib beats Justin, he retires. And then if Justin beats Khabib, they do a rematch. And then regardless of what happens after that, then he retires. So I don't think Khabib's going to be fighting Michael Chandler. But, I mean... It's really that with Khabib not fighting is really good, or with Khabib retiring will actually be really good for that division. Um, for being the most stacked division, that belt only gets defended maybe once a year, and a lot of that has to do with politics. A lot of that has to do with Khabib's injuries, and a lot of that has to do with unforeseen circumstances. Uh, I mean, if you've noticed since Khabib's been champ, he um, has been suspended, had the injury. And then uh, COVID happened. So he's kind of had a mix of everything. But for only having a few title defenses in a few years with the most stacked division, that's just unnecessary and it's not fair to the rest of the guys in the division. So I feel like with what's happening at light heavyweight where all of a sudden the the most dominant guy leaves and it leaves room for everybody else, I feel like you're going to see that belt just be fluctuated and handed off like a baton. And that's really good for the division. Um, all right, I guess it's not really good for the division per se, but I mean it's good for fans just to keep seeing like really, really, really good fights because everyone's stacked at that weight class. So pretty much what I'm getting at is that Michael Chandler going over to the UFC right now and those top top three, top five, all of those fights are great. Actually in lightweight, all the way down to one, like Paul Felder's a great fight, Daniel Hooker's a great fight, uh, Charles Oliveira's a great fight. Obviously, you know, Chandler wants to fight the guys at the very, very top, the Fergusons, the Poiriers, the Khabibs, the Connors. But I'm just saying stylistically, like, he matches up great with everybody. Um, and I don't really think Bellator loses out too much. Um, I, I think they have a lot of rebranding and regrouping to do with their lightweights right now, especially with Patricio being their their title, um, their, uh, their champion. Um, and him focusing down at 145. I really think they need to do some recruiting and some scouting and see who they can bring in at 155 because it is the best division in MMA and really kind of like rebuild that whole division. Um, you know, from what I've heard too, I got some inside sources with Bellator. Um, you know, Chandler just wanted a little bit too much money and for, you know, where he's at in his career just kind of didn't make sense for them, which, you know, I, I just, overall, I think this works out for everybody. UFC gets another great lightweight. Chandler gets to see if he's really is, can hang with the best in the world. And even for Bellator, like, even though Chandler was kind of the face, they're kind of entering in a new era. Chandler had been with them for 11 years, uh, more than that, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe 11, 12 years. And um, I just think it's a, it's just great for everybody. It's great for everybody. Um, so really, really, really excited to see what happens there. Um, kind of going to bleed into another topic that has to do with that. But uh, that this Dustin Poirier fiasco with uh, with uh, talking or um, negotiating his way out of a fight with Tony Ferguson, I think everybody understands what, what this means. Uh, Dustin Poirier knows what he's worth. He's been through enough wars. He's been to the very top. Pay the man. Pay the dude. He draws. 
He, you know, he checks all the boxes. I don't need to list them out for you. You guys know. If you guys watch the sport, especially recently, you know it. I've been watching Dustin Poirier since WEC. So I know what he's all about. But even if you've just been watching the past few years, you know exactly what Dustin Poirier is all about. So for, for and, and, and um, maybe not a lot of the new fans know, but back in the day, we used to, um, it would be like going to church on Sunday. Oh, what does the pastor have to say? Oh, 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 what's the sermon going to be today? Dana used to do these these scrums uh, before and after events. And for us fans at the time, that was really like our only way in. That's the only way. And Dana was so just blunt and flat out that we all kind of took it verbatim. Like we all ate it up. We all ate it up like a bad Snickers commercial. Like seriously. And he used to spew the same bullshit he's spewing now back then, except back then he had a much more favorable view in in terms of the fans. Like I know the media and the fighters all kind of because I had to deal with them, um, you know, uh, personally where, you know, fans were just kind of getting his scrums and we were all getting the best fights at the time. So how could the dude be wrong? But now we're starting to see like the dude, you know, he's just full of shit and he just doesn't want to pay his guys. And we can have a whole nother fucking conversation about what these guys are worth and all that. But we've kind of talked about that to, uh, you know, at nauseum. So um, we all know Dustin Poirier didn't talk himself out of a fight. Um, and, and that's the fight we want to see. So that fight should have been made. And then, but see, the problem is, is then you guys, you got guys like Daniel Hooker saying, "Hey, we'll take the fight. You can pay me my fifty-five thousand dollars, and I'll take that fight against Ferguson." When it's like, bro, you are the, that is exactly the problem. That's why you guys can't get a bigger share of the pie because there's somebody else who'll do it for cheaper. And again, when the when you know UFC is marketing UFC and not their fighters, like it is what it is. We're gonna this is gonna keep happening until you guys either understand like hey like that's a fight i want and i'll take the chump change for it but i need to elevate everybody else in the sport at the same time so no i'm not going to take that fight for chump change that's never going to happen because it's a selfish ass sport um you know we got the whole lawsuit going on right now and it's looking like it's going to go and uh it's going to get certified so we'll, we'll see what happens with that but until then it is what it is but i hope they can figure that fight out and we can have that um what else has happened oh ricardo lamas retired and that kind of flew under the radar and i got a lot of respect for ricardo lamas i got a lot of respect for anybody who puts in the work time in and time out and never stops like that guy big wins big losses fought jose aldo for the belt came up a little bit short had a great fifth round as a lot of people do against uh jose aldo but you know came up a little bit short always fought the best guys and um I appreciate him getting out while he still has, you know, a, a little bit left in him. Um, it always sucks to see these guys go out on the shield when they're just getting, you know, they were once, once, uh, you know, Lamas is one of those guys, you beat him and you're, you're ready for a title shot or the upper end of the division. So, you know, uh, it, it, I'm just glad I didn't have, we didn't have to see him fall all the way down. Um, so yeah, just, you know, wanted to give him a little bit of a shout out. Let's see what else has happened. We would, I don't really want to get another Brock Nick Diaz return anymore. Um, one thing that no one's really talking about is that TJ Dillashaw comes back here in just a few months. And I don't know if he'll get an immediate title shot coming off a of drug suspension. I don't know what's going to happen. But let me just bring this up real quick. UFC. UFC 
on the champ. Okay. So, top 10 UFC Bantamweights. You got Petr Jan, Marlon Moraes, Aljamain Sterling, Cody Garbrandt, Corey Sanhagen, Frankie Edgar, Pedro Munoz, Jose Aldo, Jimmy Rivera, Hoffa Sansao, Rob Fawn. You got Dominic Cruz on the back end, Cody Stateman, Song Yadong, and Marlon Vera. Boom. Stacked. Stacked. You throw in TJ Dillashaw there somewhere in the top three, top five. And, man, and all, all I can think of is, man, if Henry Cejudo didn't retire, Bantamweight is right there with lightweight. Can you imagine Henry Cejudo? You got Henry Cejudo, TJ Dillashaw, Petr Jan, Marlon, and Cody. And now you got Frankie in there, too. That division is loaded. I'm so excited. And, and Bantamweight has been one of my favorites for a few years now, and it's really, really has been developing into something special. Um... God, I'm so excited. I, I just can't wait for the matchups once once TJ gets back. Um, that's going to be a, a real loaded division. And I, I really hope we don't see bullshit where guys who just have name recognition keep selling the division on the top end with title shots. I really hope we start seeing some really good title fights here. And not not that they haven't been good, but I want to start seeing the, right, the perennial top contender fight the champion. Um... You know, Aldermaine Sterling should have, him and, and Sandy Hagen should have fought for the, the vacant belt. Petr Jan had that great fight with Jose Aldo. That was a good fight. He ended up getting the stoppage win. He's the champ. He's the guy to beat. So we'll see what happens. But this division is not how TJ left it. Like, this, this dude, he's got some savages in there now. I mean, he was just kind of going back and forth with Cody. You know, they could have probably fought every week. It would have been like heavyweight. Uh, in like the 2000, it would have been like UFC Divi- heavyweight division 2005, where Andre and Tim Sylvia just fighting each other every weekend. Um, but you know, we got uh, we got we got a loaded division, so I'm really, 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 really excited for that. Um, I think that's all all I got. So um, next week I'll be back with a Paula Costa Adesanya breakdown. Probably just talking about the top two fights, since everything below that's kind of wishy washy, but. Those top two fights with Jan and Dominic and then Adesanya and Costa. Damn. Uh, yeah, I just can't wait. We'll, we'll get in more of that next week. So until next time, or until next week, guys, uh, make sure you pick up the phone, answer the call to violence. Thanks.